With everything that's going on in the world today, the COVID, just all the things we have to wear a mask, we have to do this, you have to, just, just the aggravating things that are going on in our lives, I thought that putting on the armor of God might help us to stand firm in our walk with the Lord. Um, so we've been studying the, the, the letter to the Ephesians from Paul for about several months now, and we've gone all the way through it to, or at this point in the study, which is the last study. And uh, we started it last week. We only got a couple of verses done. We should finish it this week, and then we're going to move on. However, I want to thank all of the members of that class, because the insight that you've given me and the things that you've talked about in that class has encouraged me and helped me to understand better what I've studied on my own. It's one thing to study on your own, but iron sharpens iron, and to hear from other people, you get the opportunity to know where you're at and where they're at, and we sharpen one another. So I want to thank them, because part of their sermon is some of the things that they said and some of the things that they uh, uh, said examples to me. I want to t- tell a story, because Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that which we have received, and that'll be in chapter 4, um, which I'm going to do a, an outline, a context of, of Ephesians, because that way we can understand the armor of God better. I'd like to tell a little story I heard from a preacher a long time ago. These three hunters went out hunting, very, very experienced hunters, and they came upon some tracks, and one guy looked up and he said, those are deer tracks, those are definitely deer tracks, and the other guy said, you don't know what you're talking about, there's no way those are deer tracks, they can't be deer tracks. He says, those are antelope tracks, come on, antelope around here, are you out of mind, the third guy says, he says, those are definitely moose tracks, and all of a sudden the train came by and killed the three of them. You know what it is? If you're on the wrong track, if you're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received, that's going to happen to you. The train of the devil, the train of what's going on, the train of the evil nature is going to run you over like nothing else. So let me, with, with that being said, I think I'll read, I, I want to read the section first and give a, give, then give a brief context to the letter, letter of Ephesians. Now, I've written it all down because my mind isn't what it used to be, so... If I'm reading a lot, forgive me. And you're looking at the top of my head instead of my face. I apologize for that in advance. So, anyway, Lord, please bless the reading of your word and may it work in our hearts and in our lives that we may stand firm in you, in Jesus' name. So, it says in Ephesians 6 10 through 18, finally, and it's not like it's finally that's it, but finally, I'll explain that a little later. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the, day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrow darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We need to know who 
and whose we are. We need to know that we are a child of the living God and we belong to him. And I think the letter of Ephesians really brings that out, that we are not our own. We are bought at a price, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I think when we know who we are and whose we are, that God is in control, and we see these first three chapters, you'll see all of that, when I go through what I go through, we couldn't have done any of what's going to be happening in these first three chapters. This is all what God does for us. So in, in verse, um, let me make a interesting aside. Five times in this letter he mentions heavenly places, which I'm not going to get into how deeply these, the different levels of heaven and all that other stuff. I'm just going to say without getting too deep that the heavenly places are the unseen world of spiritual reality. So just know that. And we are seated in heaven with Christ, so I'll get to that later as well. So verse 3 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Very important. Everything we have is in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All these blessings, like I said earlier, are in Christ, which we obtained, which he obtained for us. So verse 4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, he lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in heaven and, and things on earth. In verse 13 and 14 says, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit, a guarantee for our inheritance. So when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, which is God's choosing, God's predestining, God's redeeming, God's forgiving, God's making known, then you have that guarantee because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, guaranteeing that when all life is over, he's in you. It wasn't a seal on your head like they talk about in Revelation. It's a seal with, with the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you, and you will be in heaven with Christ. And you can have that assurance of salvation, which we'll get into later. It goes on to say in verse 20 to 23, he raised, he, God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Third time, I think that's been mentioned. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. Satan is under his feet. His demons are under his feet. He has been, he's been risen far above all the heavens, all authority. There is no authority anywhere that's over Christ. Power and dominion, nothing is over Christ. And above every name that is named, not even in this age, but also in the age to come. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we belong to him. He goes on to say, um, and he says, goes on to say that, and he gave him as head over all things, I love this, to the church. Christ has been given to us. The church, believers, coming together here. So in chapter 2, I'll go on. Verses 2 and 3, he says, verse 1, he says, He rescued us from the world and the devil and the flesh, from being under the wrath of God. And how do you do that? He said, but God. Greatest two words in the Bible. But God. You know, he talks about something going on. He says, but God did this for us. He says, but God, when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So we are physically here on earth and seated with Christ in heaven. 
We operate in here, in here on earth, but our authority is in heaven. And that's where we get our orders from, and that's where we fight the battles, is in heaven with Christ, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Um, in verses, uh, I love this here, verses 14 and 18 and 19, it says, Jesus became our peace, united Jew and Gentile, by breaking down the wall of hostility, and now through Christ we have peace, and we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We are fellow citizens in the household of God. So if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're Jewish, and we believe in Jesus Christ and we're Gentile, we all are together as one people under God. There's no more division there. Jesus came, not only did he come to save us, he came to break down that wall of hostility and begin the new creation for us in the new community that he wants to display on the earth so that we can show people what we have and make them want to come in. In verses 4 to 6, there's a switch here. Now, we've done the... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, I'll just make a note. He said, in God, verse 9 and 10, God brought to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, who created all things. So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. They know we're there. They know we belong to Christ. And, know, and we, they know about this armor that we can put on to fight the battle. Now, chapters 4 to 6 is what we should do because of all the blessings that God has bestowed on us. He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. And then he gets, so what is, what is this new, new, new um, the manner we have received? It's everything that he said in chapter three, 1 through 3, which I just explained. It's a brief explanation, but I hope that helps. Um, Paul tells us, tells us how we should now... Uh, how we should walk now that we have been redeemed, made alive in Christ, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of our minds, renewing our minds with the word of God, and be to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness, to walk as children of the light, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord letting the light shine before all. How to live in a community with one another, to be filled with the Spirit, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How we should live as families. He talks about how husbands and wives should live together. Parents and children, how they should live together. How we should be, be at work when he says masters and slaves, but I, we can, today we could call it employers and employees here. So here I am to the spiritual battle. It's all that to get to this point. I have three points I want to try to make today, God willing. The first is knowing your enemy. Know your enemy, verses 11 and 12. The second is get dressed for the battle, verses 13 to 17. And the third is pray in the spirit at all times. I have a quote here from Martin Lloyd-Jones I'd like to read. I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the accuser, and the hidden fiery arrows. As we begin our text today, I'm not going to jump right into who our enemy is, but I want to say there's, there's some encouraging hope here and truth that uh, we, are not, we are not alone and we are not without power. 
In Christ we belong to him and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The battle is the Lord's. You must have heard that in the Old Testament. People preaching that before. But the battle is the Lord's. And it is in his strength, in his armor, that decides whether we stand or fall. Absolute dependence on Jesus is needed to grow and to stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord, he says. Finally, it's like it's not the end. He says, now that I've given you all this stuff, now that I've told you everything that's going on, finally I'm going to tell you about the battle that you're in. Henceforth, this is what's going to be happening, and this is what you need to do. So we need to stay strong in the Lord and not in our own power, as Martin Lloyd-Jones quoted, and rely on the strength of his might. We are immovable in him. More good news, God has supplied us with his armor. We are, we are to put it on and take it up. Don't leave your armor sitting in the corner. And you have to put it all on. You don't just put on maybe the helmet today and the breastplate tomorrow. You have to put it all on. So don't leave it there. You have to put it on. And, what, and I asked Frank, I don't know if he's still here, uh, a while ago, and uh, I said, Frank, do you have your armor on today? He says, all the time, Joe, all the time. And that's true. We never take the armor off. It's like in, uh, in Deuteronomy 6 where they talk about, you know, put the word in your heart. Talk about the word to your children. When you're sleeping in bed, when you're up in the morning, write it on your arms, write it on your doorposts, write it on your head. It has to be everywhere. The same thing with the armor. If we put any piece of our armor down, maybe we'll have a problem. I don't know. More good news is like, okay, I got that. But let me, I want to read from Isaiah 59, 16, and 17 to give you an example of the armor of God. It says, The Lord saw it and it displeased him. There was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his, his own arm brought him salvation. So there was nobody there that could bring salvation. So the God himself sent someone to bring, and it's Jesus. And, his, his righteous, and, in, and, in, and in his righteousness upheld him. He put on the righteousness as a breastplate. He put on the helmet of salvation on his head. It's the armor that he tells us to put on. The Lord armed himself for the deliverance of his people, and now he wants us to be armed with his whole armor. Wobbly Christians have no firm foothold in Christ. One easy prey for the devil. And Christians who shake like reeds and rushes cannot resist the wind when principalities and powers begin to blow. We have to be Christians so strong and stable that we remain firm against the devil's schemes and even in the evil day. For such stability, both of character and in crisis, the whole armor of God is essential. Only by the power of the Lord and the strength of his might and his armor can we stand against the might, the evil, and the schemes of the devil. The first point, know your enemy. We need to stand. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Excuse me. And <laughs> Growth in grace and knowledge of the Lord will be strongly opposed by Satan. He will stop us at every point if we allow him to, and he will make us stagnant and useless in our walk with the Lord. Verse 11 and 12 warns us that we are engaged in a deadly warfare against the God of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
that's small g for the God, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient and with his army of demons. And that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that it is, uh, that is other people, but against spiritual forces of evil headed up by Satan himself. Yes, it may seem that we struggle with other people, but our true struggle is with the cosmic powers, our enemies, not human, but demonic. Um, in, the, in James uh, chapter 1, 14 to 15, it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own evil desires. So let me, before I continue on, what happens is we get this thought in our head, and I was thinking of a story, so I'm going to use Josh if he doesn't mind. A person walks in here in the morning, and they sit in the middle back there. Nobody comes over to say hello to them. The, the, the sound is too low, and they sit there, and they say, you know, what's wrong with these people? You know, I thought this was a loving church. Nobody comes over here. Nobody says anything. They don't do anything to me. And Josh, I don't know what's wrong with that guy over there. Is he the only one listening to it? The rest of us have to listen to it, too. But then that same person, if he comes in with the armor of God, and he sits there, and he says, she, uh, wow. It must be wrong with some of these people around here. Maybe I should go talk to them. Oh, maybe I should walk over to Josh and say, Hey, Josh, could you turn the sound up? It's hard to hear. Here's the difference. Are we, in, are we, in, are we enticed? Are we lured and enticed by our evil desires, that which Satan is putting these thoughts in our head? Or not? Because if we do, then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, James says. And when sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So when that starts to happen, we have to deal with it right away. Not that, not that the armor of God, I mean, it, it, for me, it, I'm, I'm talking about ideals and, you know, this is what the word says to us, but I'm not myself the same thing. I, you know, like sometimes I say, what, is, what am I thinking? Where did I put my helmet on? You know, uh, I can't think of that word. Where did I put my sword? You know, it's, it's kind of like you need to have it on at all times and always have that focus on the Lord. Very hard to do. Very hard to do. But we need to do it. The more we read the word, the more we read the word, the more we have that focus. The enemies are the devil and his army, but they are defeated foes, yet they are active. They're, they're defeated. They're beaten. They know it. They know it. But they're still going to disrupt, destroy, and all that. These powers are evil and demonic in intelligence. They work in darkness behind the scenes in the heavenly places, deceiving, disrupting, and destroying all they can. Satan attacks in the darkness, not openly, then when he transforms himself from darkness into the angel of light, he tries to catch us off guard. We ought to always be vigilant. But his defeat has been sealed by the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like I read earlier in Ephesians 1, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. As it said in the Garden of Eden, he crushed his head. He crushed the serpent's head. He's under his feet. But his defeat... Um, where am I? Oh, sorry. Still, Satan's ultimate aim is to trouble us, to harm us. He has an unholy, relentless resolve to bring disgrace and dishonor to the church of Jesus Christ. And he tries to do that through his followers, through us. If Satan can't keep you from Christ, he will, do this hellish, he will do his hellish worst to keep you from going on with Christ. He will stop at nothing to distract you and divert you from focusing on God. Satan is a created being. He is not omniscient, which is all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at a time. That's why he needs his demons. He is not omnipotent, all-powerful. Satan is on a leash. 
Satan is on a leash. God's holding that leash. Christ is holding that leash. He's under Christ's feet. He's got a leash. He goes too far. He says, that's enough. Stop. And that's what God does for us. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. God will protect us. He was a created, he has never created anything. He's here to disrupt creation. But he is a dangerous wolf and enters Christ's flock disguised as a sheep trying to bring chaos to the church and the people. He roars like a lion, but often he is as subtle as a serpent. First Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I'll tell a story here about Tony Evans. Uh, Rick told me it the other day, and I said, That's pretty good. I think I'll use it. So he said, Go ahead. So Tony Evans took his son to the zoo, and they went to the, the lion cage. And the son's looking at the lion, and the lion roars and says, Daddy, Daddy, aren't you afraid of the lion? He says, No, son, I don't see a lion. I see a cage. <laughs> so, you know, so he's a caged lion. He really is. He's under Christ's power, under his feet. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, and we reign with Christ. So basically, he's under our feet, too. So even though, like I said earlier, even though we are here on earth, our authority is in heaven, and that's where we fight these battles against Satan. Because we can't see him. And if you're not saved, you don't know him. I mean, you're already under his power because you haven't been regenerated. You haven't been saved. So if you haven't been, stick around and talk to someone before you leave. Only the power of God can defend and deliver us from that might, the evil, and the craft of the devil. But our strength comes from the Lord through our growth and knowledge of him. Remember, the resources to stand against the devil will not be found within ourselves, no matter how hard we try. We are, we are an easy prey for the enemy without the Lord. We need to remember all of God's blessing in Christ, in Christ that God has given us. In Christ that God has given us. Point number two, be dressed for the battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, excuse me, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or arrows, actually it should be translated arrows, of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the second time that Paul has mentioned the whole armor of God. He is adamant about the importance of the whole armor. Not a piece, the whole thing. We cannot put on some of the armor or we will wobble, tip over, and fall. God gives us the armor, but we need to put it on. It's his armor, but he tells us to put it on. And we put it on piece by piece while praying in the Spirit. So we are able to stand in the evil day. Now, the evil day is a time of special pressure when all things seem to go wrong. We are walking in the joy of the Lord on a mountaintop experience. Then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Maybe uh, the evil forces decide to attack us that day. As everything's going great, why now? You know, maybe it's a loss of a job, loss of a loved one, or... Or financial problems, marital problems, sickness, 
anything that can disrupt our walk with the Lord and takes our focus away from him, then we are the most vulnerable and open to the attacks of the evil ones. Our minds start to go everywhere. We think too much in a worldly way, not turning to God just yet, because for myself, I think, I can handle this. I get into the worldly thinking. And without the whole armor of God, I am in trouble. I have a verse here I wanted to read, if I can. This verse here has come in handy for me many times because when you get tempted or you have problems, you wonder, why am I getting this? And he says, God, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, um, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. Why can't I remember that verse when I'm going through something? <laughs> Why do I always have to get the brain working in the wrong direction? That's what I ask myself. Uh, we're at, now we're on the belt of truth. We finally got to the armor, huh? The belt was used by the Roman soldier to tie up loose clothing, and this, way, this was to give him the ability to move freely. So for us, the belt, God's truth, is the key to putting on the whole armor of God, I believe. If you do not know the truth, then you can't understand what the other pieces of the armor are. We need to know God's truth. His truth is the belt. His righteousness is the breastplate. His gospel of peace is the good news. The faith is in him is the shield. His salvation is the helmet, and his word is the sword. So if we take away all of these images of, of the soldier, we see we have his truth, his righteousness, his gospel of peace, his faith, his salvation, and his word. This is what we should be focused on, but to give us, help us to understand better, Paul was giving us an idea of, as he sees a Roman soldier, he was, he was chained to a Roman soldier because he was in prison at the time. And he would probably, they wouldn't have the full armor on, but he'd see some of the armor they were wearing, and he knew what the armor was they wore. So he took that for the people at the time to understand. But I think it helps us to understand today as well. So God's view on any subject is truth, right? But we seem to rely on man's or our own truth. There is God's truth, and everybody else is wrong. Let me say that again. There is God's truth, and everybody else is wrong. Truth is the standard. Now, if you don't have the truth, what is your standard? Uh, that the person is a good person, he'll probably go to heaven. What, what's your standard? Good person in comparison to who? To whom? Um, so we have our standard is the truth, and the truth is God. But if we can't trust God's truth, or if we don't know God's truth, they, the evil forces, will twist the truth and attack us. And that happens many times. In the Gospel of John 8, 31, 32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not just hearing the truth. He tells us we've got to know the truth. Then he tells us how we, how we can know the truth. By abiding in Christ. We can know the truth by abiding in Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Another story by Tony Evans. I don't know if I'm going to get this one right, but I'm going to try it anyway. 
person has a, the fact is he has a headache, and that's the fact. I have a headache. So he goes to the local store, takes a Tylenol for the headache, but it doesn't go away. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have a tumor. So the fact that he had a, head, a headache to him was the truth. But the underground truth, the real truth was he had a tumor. And we need to know that truth. We need to know the truth that God, not the facts, we need to know the truth that God is telling us now. We need to stand in that truth. It's not just hearing the truth, you must know the truth. And you can only do that by abiding in the word. Jesus Christ and the truth will set you free. Amen. William Grinnell writes, Some by truth mean a truth of doctrine, the truth, the revelation of God in Christ and in Scripture. Others will have it truth of heart or sincerity. The truth is, in this sense, of sincerity or integrity, for certainly God requires truth in our inward parts. Well, I read this commentary of Peter O'Brien, and I believe as he does, so I'm going to quote him so I don't mix it up. Both of these aspects of truth to get belong together. As we buckle on this piece of the Messiah's armor, we are strengthened by God's truth revealed in the gospel as a consequence of which we will display the characteristics of the anointed one in our attitudes, language, and behavior. In this way, we resist, excuse me, resist the devil, giving him no opportunity to gain advantage over us. So buckle on the belt of truth. And that brings us to the breastplate of righteousness. I'll just requote. Isaiah 59, 17, he, put, he, God, put on the righteousness as a breastplate. Excuse me. As believers, we need to be armed with God's own righteousness if we are to be protected against the arrows of our spiritual enemies. A soldier's breastplate protected the vital organs that would otherwise be vulnerable the heart, your emotions, you know. I mean, in the same way, we are vulnerable unless we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness was imputed to us the moment we trusted Christ, his righteousness. At the cross, Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Such a deal for us. What about him? <laughs> Take our sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lord, wants us to be, the Lord wants us to be righteous not only in our position with Christ, but also in our practice. We must be careful to walk in the dependence on Christ's righteousness and not our own goodness. When we fall, we need to deal promptly with our sin in our lives and be quick to forgive those who sin against us so that we will not be victimized by unforgiveness, hate, bitterness, resentment. We don't want to give the devil a foothold. We stand in the righteousness of Christ because we abide in Christ. And now we have the shoes or sandals for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier's shoes or sandals had studs on the bottom for stability and mobility. Stability to stand and mobility to move around sure-footed. It says in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes grace. And then in Romans 10, 5, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel news, the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace speaks to the readiness to enter the fray and share the only message that leads peace 
to peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not, I don't think it's only the peace with God. I think it's the peace in God. Because Jesus said in John, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world does. When everything's going wrong, bad around you, and you start to focus on the Lord, all of a sudden, some, a peace comes over you. Where's that peace from? I mean, look at this. Everything's going crazy out here. It's like this guy, he built, he painted this painting. Another Tony Evans story. <laughs> he painted this big, beautiful painting, but it's all chaos everywhere. The whole thing is just chaos. In the very little corner of the painting, he paints a, a little bird on a branch. Nice, peaceful. Something that you look at. And that's the peace he's talking about. Amidst all the chaos, the Lord will come upon you and give you that peace that you need to stand. Because we know the devil fears and hates the gospel, because it is God's power to rescue people from tyranny, both us who have received it and those with whom we share it, so we need to keep our gospel shoes on. We have to have the gospel so embedded in our lives that we can stand, knowing that our sins are covered in the blood of Christ. Paul speaks of weapons he uses in warfare as being divinely powerful to demolish strongholds, to overthrow arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10.4. This involves carrying the message into the enemy territory. Next piece of armor. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In all circumstances, not when we feel like it. In all circumstances. One of the ways they said the Romans, they'd have the, it wasn't the small shield, it was the body shield. And it had metal on the edges, and in the middle was leather. And what they would do is they would dip it in water. And when they dipped it in water and the flaming arrows came, they would immediately be extinguished. So they wouldn't have to focus on the flame, but focus on the block in the arrow. So that, that, that's how the shield is. But our shield is, is faith. Face the shield. It is laying hold of God's resources, especially his power, in the midst of the evil one's attack. Our faith in God will make us stand. Um, Faith looks out to Jesus Christ and he guides and protects our hearts from all the flaming arrows of the devil. God himself is our shield when we take refuge in him. It is by faith that we flee to him for refuge. I read Psalm 46 every morning in the beginning of it says, God is my refuge and my strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I will trust in him even though the earth give way. And I use that, it's just an amazing, it's amazing that if you have that faith that you don't have to worry about, be still and know that I am God is also in that psalm. Be still and know that I am God. I cannot be still very long when I'm going through something to know that he is God, in which I wish I could. I really wish I could. Because if I could be still, he'd take care of everything. I heard a story one time that David was surrounded and uh, all around, and, and he was in the mountain, and they were ready to come in on him. And, and he, that's when he wrote a psalm and said, Be still. And know that I am God. Don't worry, David. I'm God. And I said, you will be king. You will be king. He told him what he would be. God made sure it happened. The flaming dots depict every kind of attack launched by the devil and his hosts against the people of God. Everything. They include not, they include not only every kind of temptation to ungodly behavior, doubt, despair, but also external assaults such as persecution or false teaching. Paul's expression conveys the sense of extreme danger. 
The forces of the evil one are incredibly powerful. Left to our own devices, we would certainly fall. But, there it is. These flaming arrows cannot harm those of us who put their trust and confidence in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are able to resist and overcome these satanic attacks. And faith is an action word. And that's why our feet are fitted, fitted with the sandals of peace, the gospel of peace. Faith that God will do as he says he will. Like Noah, build an ark so that he can save you and your family and bring a bunch of animals, get on the ark, I'm going to flood the world, and then you can start over. He builds this ark, he's getting persecuted for all those years. Persecuted, laughed at, everything. It's the rain, what is that? Anyway, at the end of all that time, what happens? He builds an ark, makes it through the flood, and he lives on the new earth the earth. Like uh, Abraham, take, pick up your family and go, and I will make you a great nation. Abraham picks up his family, goes to Canaan, the promised land, looking for the promised land. God gives him, gives, says he has the promised land, and what is he today? He's a great nation today, isn't he? Because we are all seed of Abraham, he says. So God, faith is an action word. God tells you to do something, and he wants you to do it. And Moses, how about Moses? He says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Come on, God, really? You want me to go do that? <laughs> you know, I'm not a man of good speech. He said, don't worry about it. Just go. So finally Moses went, and what did he do? He led the people out of Egypt, 40 years in the desert, to the promised land. He didn't get to go in. Joshua brought him in. But he, God did what he said he would do. And Moses believed it in faith, and it was done. So it is with us. With the, protection, with the protection of the shield of faith against all of Satan's flaming darts and our feet fitted with the studded shoes, we need to keep moving forward and spread the gospel of peace to the others which Satan hates because it, and disrupts his plans. For faith lays hold of the, of the promises of God's, God in times of doubt and depression, and faith lays hold of the power of God in times of temptation. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Next, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation on his head. This is where God, the victorious warrior, wears the helmet of salvation as he saves his people and judges their enemies. Here, for us, God gives us his helmet for our protection. And we are urged to take it as we engage in the spiritual warfare. If you... If it is our undenying faith in Jesus Christ, it is in all he accomplished to guarantee our salvation that we stand firm. The Christian soldier's helmet is the hope of salvation. That is our assurance, our future, and final salvation. It's a sure hope. It's an assurance. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Salvation guides our life and our thoughts are held captive to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, we take, every, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Charles Hodge writes, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that the, that he, sorry, brain doesn't work all the time. is the fact that he is saved, and we might add that he knows his salvation will be perfected 
in the end, our assurance, sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. The helmet is there to protect our thinking and not allow us to falter in our thoughts. The eyes are connected to the mind. That is what we see all the time. So we, like it says in Romans, we need to be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may test and approve God's will, God's perfect and pleasing will. So we've got to put into our mind by transforming our mind the word of God instead of watching the news, which will drive you crazy. And all the things that are going on in the world will be pulling us away. It's still there. The world, the devil and the flesh still fight, still fight against us. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This refers to the short-handled double-edged sword, which was an important weapon in close contact, combat. The double-edged sword was a, is a defensive and an offensive weapon. We can help block those fiery dots with the sword as well. Uh, but we, wielding, the weapon of, wielding the weapon of Scripture, we as believers are to be aggressive combatants, not passive spectators. But a sword will do us little good if we are unskilled in its use. To be effective, we must gain facility in handling the sword, word so that we can apply it with wisdom to all circumstances. We must be Bible Christians. I don't know if there's any other kind. But. This requires the discipline of a daily investment of time in prayerful and expectant Bible reading. Our minds are renewed as we regularly memorize and meditate on the word. In this way, we put on the mind of Christ. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 We are to take hold of the word of God, the gospel, and to proclaim it in the power of the Spirit. Proclaiming is to speak forth. The, 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 I, I read where the Greek word used here is not the same as it's normally used. This word, it means to speak forth the word. It's to speak forth the word. The word and the spirit are inseparable. The Holy Spirit always takes us to the word of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and nights, was tempted by the devil three times. This is in John, uh, Matthew 4. And Jesus says, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the God. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Three words, it is written, Satan hates to hear, because he is allergic to scripture. If we speak the word of God out against Satan, he will leave. Jesus proved it to us. Pray in the Spirit at all times, point three. Almost there, guys. <laughs> and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We have to pray continually because our struggle with the powers of darkness is never-ending. There will be no cessation of hostilities, not even a temporary truce or a ceasefire, until the end of life or of history when the peace of heaven is attained. Pray in the Spirit that is inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit, through whom we have confident access to the Father. Uh, Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access to the one Spirit, to the Father. As those who have been built into God's dwelling place in the Spirit. Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you, are also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. And who are being filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. 
We are to pray to the Father, prompted and guided by the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying the Word of God back to Him. Praying to God, using the Word of God, and tell Him, we believe your promises. We want your promises. God already knows what we want, but He won't give it to you until you ask. He tells us, Jesus said, pray. Your Father already knows what you want, but pray, pray, pray. Pray, and then the Father has got it sitting there waiting, just waiting for that prayer to come from Job. Lord, not, if, he, if, he, if it's something that you shouldn't have, he's not going to give it to you. But uh, if there's a prayer there that you're asking for and it's something that he wants to give and I pray it, then he can give it. So. We pray with specific requests offered through the Spirit by every believer involved in the spiritual warfare. Even when we do not know what to pray as we ought, the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit comes, I mean, the Spirit comes to our assistance and intercedes for us with unspoken groanings that are perfectly in line with the will of God, according to God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, we, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8.28. To be committed to this kind of prayer, we must stay alert. It says in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said to us, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Such vigilance is to be accomplished by perseverance and prayer for all the saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. What happened? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'll finish here. We are utterly dependent upon God and upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We must realize that it will do no, it, it, if we do not remain in constant contact and communion with God, whatever we may have done by way of putting on the armor will avail us nothing. We must ever maintain this essential, intimate relationship with God. Let us never forget that in the Christian life, prayer is essential. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity you have given me today to present this message. Lord, if I made any mistakes, it's all my fault. But if it accomplished the purpose for which you send it, Lord, all the glory is yours. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Be with us as we go forward for communion and help us as we go. It's in Jesus' name I pray.